We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a How do you make a podcast out of a terrible, boring football match? Simple. Just upload content about something else. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. So, this is your post-carry-a-bag podcast. Uh, I am going to just quickly summarize what I thought of the match, and then what we're going to do, instead of giving you an hour of you know us breaking down a match that really didn't have a lot of incident or importance or value, we are going to give you... Uh, freebie from our In the Spotlight series over on Patreon. We are going to give you In the Spotlight, Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Ozil. So in just a few moments, you will be hearing that podcast. So it's a series that we do over on Patreon. In fact, just now we have uploaded In the Spotlight, Unai Emery. So that is available over on Patreon. And if you sign up, uh, not only would we be super appreciative, um, and we're appreciative whether you do or you don't, obviously, because you listen and we love you for that, but uh, you will have access to that and all the content, including Tim's match preview videos, uh, ad-free episodes. Uh, we have more video content coming and a couple other things, including halftime shows and and live commentary and things like that. So in any event, uh, not much to talk about from Carry Bag. Welcome back, Koscielny. It was great to see him. Hard to say how prepared he would be to start in the Premier League because there really wasn't much going on with Carry Bag. Um, Mesut Ozil back, which was great. He assisted the goal that Lacazette came back and took quite brilliantly. Uh, I wasn't super thrilled to see Lacazette starting because I think with seven matches in 20 days, it would have been better to rest him. But that's okay. You know, we got the win. It was a pretty gentle game overall. He took one or two knocks that had me worried just because we really don't have a lot of options. It's him and Aubameyang with Welbeck out, but he got through the match and hopefully should be fine going forward. So fingers crossed there. Uh, maybe the big story 
the young players. Um, I thought Willick looked great. I thought Maitland-Niles looked great, especially when he moved over to the right uh, right wing later in the match. But uh, Sacco was definitely the story of the match. 17-year-old, got his start, showed a lot of flashes of talent, um, skillful dribbling, uh, great nutmeg. And unfortunately, the ref blows up for the foul after that nutmeg. Otherwise, I think it results in a Mesodozo goal, potentially. Could have had a goal at the end, hit the keeper in the face, nearly knocked him out, but still a great debut for him. And if you haven't caught his post-match interview, you should definitely catch it because... Um, it's very endearing, including talking about his family, getting him to sleep early. So, you know, that's that. We've got Southampton coming up at the weekend. Tim will have a match preview video for that over on Patreon. Uh, very, very interesting to see who starts uh, in defense there. That's really the big issue. So we'll see what happens with that. But that's it. That's it for the Europa League group stage. They were pretty much terrible, but we're through, and the draw will be on Monday. So we'll definitely come back with some coverage of that. In any event, um, we love you, we appreciate you, and what you're going to hear now is over from Patreon, but totally free for you. Enjoy it. It's in the spotlight. Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Ozil. Okay, it's time to tell you about our friends at EnclosedLingerie.com. That's Enclosed, E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D, Lingerie. L-I-N-G-E-R-I-E, EnclosedLingerie.com. You're going to want to go there right now because they are offering you $35 off any gift of lingerie from their site using checkout code ARSENAL. Enclosed Lingerie is a lingerie of the month gift, uh, similar to beer of the month or flower of the month, but every month you are going to receive high-end luxury lingerie for your partner. This is something that you got to do. It enhances the intimacy and the closeness in your relationship that doesn't happen on its own. It takes time, it takes energy and effort, and this shows real thoughtfulness. Plus, you don't have to wander around a department store sheepishly. You're getting something with a perfect fit guarantee, so size will never be an issue, and you're going to love giving this gift to your partner. I'm married, I have a toddler, um, I have a great relationship with my wife, but I have to admit that keeping that closeness is something you have to really focus on, especially as time goes by and your family grows. So. This is something you should absolutely do for your loved one. Go to enclosedlingerie.com, enter Arsenal at checkout. You'll get $35 off any enclosed gift, and you're giving something that shows real thoughtfulness, that's unique, that's just for you and your partner. Go there now, enclosedlingerie.com, and enter Arsenal at checkout for $35 off your gift. Do it now. What has four arms, four legs, two heads, and won't stay in its designated position? This is the In the Spotlight episode about Mesut Ozil and Aaron Ramsey. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right. For all you beautiful, lovely, wonderful, adorable patrons who we love and are thankful for and couldn't do any of this without you, it is uh, the ever-popular In the Spotlight from the folks that brought you In the Spotlight, Messi- uh, nope, Matteo Ganduzzi, and the folks that brought you In the Spotlight, Hector Bellerin, comes In the Spotlight, Mesut Ozil, and Aaron Ramsey, and that was what the whole pithy introduction thing was about. So, without further ado, let's make haste and introduce two of the people that will be talking to us about these great players, or if we don't think they're great players, you'll find out momentarily. Uh, Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello. So, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk to Tim and Clive. We'll uh, let Scott come in and give us the stats that tell us that all our analysis was wrong. We'll come back and talk to Tim and Clive. We may even sneak Paul on here. So, uh, it will be a bumper edition. I hope you have nothing planned this weekend, but there's no club football, so you shouldn't. Uh, in any event, let's get down to brass tacks. We're going to talk Ozone Ramsey, and we'll get to some of the contemporary issues, whether they can play together, where Ramsey might go, whether we were right to... Uh, pay Ozil what we did and keep him around and what his future looks like. But let's start at the beginning. 
And let's start with Mesut Ozil. Tim, when Ozil arrived, when we signed him, it was supposed to herald a new era at Arsenal. Let's just revisit for a minute. What was your sense sensation when it was announced that Ozil was signing? And you know, what did you feel that it meant for the club at that time? I was uh, I was like everyone else. I was super excited, and this is um, coming from someone who doesn't really kind of. I don't throw myself into the whole transfers um, thing that much. But this this felt. Like, you know, I remember the signing of Dennis Bergkamp. I remember where I was. I remember how I found out. Ditto Sol Campbell. Um, and and this, this felt like those, um, basically. This was, and particularly, I think, in the way it happened, where we had this entire summer where people were so frustrated. Because up to that point, we'd only bought Yaya Sanogo. And everyone was so desperate for us to sign someone. Um, even to the point, what's really weird was the end of the season before and the beginning of, of the season that we signed Ozil, we lost something like one in 14. We were actually in really, really good form. But um, I think, you know, this was probably like the peak of social media and, and social media anxiety and things like that. And, um, and yeah, so I, I, I tell you, I remember the day really clearly because I remember that I didn't get the underground home. And at this point I was living in a place um, in Southwest London that was on the Northern line. So I used to get the tube home and I decided not to do it because um, the whole thing was still unfolding and it hadn't quite been announced yet. And I decided to get the bus home instead so that I could keep my phone reception and keep following things. That's dedication. Um, And that's that, you know, that adds another half an hour onto my journey home, which considering my journey home at that time was about 40 minutes. Plus, you know, it's a bus and there's that. Yeah, (laughs) just that. that It's a bus in London in August when it was actually (laughs) quite warm. So, um, you you know, nowadays, obviously, I have Wi-Fi in the underground. It would have been easier. But I was like, no, 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 I I don't want to go underground for half an hour because I'll miss something. Um, and, and, And that's how I felt. And. And I think there are a couple of other things. I mean, obviously, uh, Gazidis had given us the big sell before that. And um, he is fairly delicate, actually. He he gave it to me personally as well, not just me. Um, but he, during that summer and during, well, actually during the end of the season previous, because you remember, this is when we were renegotiating sponsorship deals. This is when the piñata was going to open and we were going to have more money. And Gazeta spent the spring and the early part of the summer inviting journalists. And then, as it turned out, a, a couple of bloggers um, as well. I won't name the other people I um, I went along with, but there there were four of us that went into his into his office, and he he gave us this big sell about how everything was going to change, and you know this was here's the money now, um, you know we we have been holding on a little bit, um, but but this this is you know the 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 dawning of a new era, and he was pr- he was testing his press line, which was you know about the the quite ill advised Bayern Munich comments. Um, so there was all that and then nothing happened for a long time, which contributed to people's anxiety. I think the other thing to remember at this point as well was that we hadn't won a trophy in eight years and counting at this point. And, you know, a lot of people kind of, um, you know, particularly thinking of our global support really only started supporting Arsenal either at the tail end um, of like the Invincibles era um, 
but but like a lot of people had only known like um a bit of a, a barren era in terms of trophies so actually Mesut Ozil signing was um and I'm going to sound like Arsene Wenger here it was like a trophy it was greeted like that in fact I would argue that it was more celebrated um and I bet there are metrics to prove this that it, it was more celebrated and it had more traction um, than Arsenal winning the uh, the FA Cup nine months later. Yeah. So the official metric is fucks given. I'll look it up and see if I can find it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. So uh, and and for you know it it felt like finally we're getting what we were promised when we moved into this stadium. Basically, it's like finally this is what people pay hundreds of pounds and you know in some cases thousands of pounds for season tickets for this level of player and and it felt like the dawning of a new era. Yeah, it really did. And I, I think you hit on it there at the very end, especially, is that there was this fear that we were just starting to slip into mediocrity and that the days of Arsenal being able to attract the best players in world football were passing us by. And this was a real statement of intent. Buying a player at the peak of his powers from Real Madrid, one of the biggest footballers in the world. I mean, he had more Twitter followers than the club, uh, I believe, at the time, and may still, in fact. So mul- multiple times that. So... It was a real statement of intent that we were not going to slip behind and obviously didn't necessarily go the way we expected. Clive, putting to one side sort of the euphoria and the reaction to his signing, he came in, the manager initially didn't really play him at the 10. If you remember, I think he tried to play him wide left to get Ramsey and and Wilshire into the squad too, but eventually he, he proved himself as one of the top creative players in the Premier League, nearly breaking uh, the assist record, which... I think he he should have done. He created the chances to do it. It was some bad finishing that actually let him down in that season. But as far as the first few seasons that he was at the club and and winning FA Cups, getting that trophy drought to break, and and just the the number of chances that he laid on. I mean, would you say that the early portion of his career at Arsenal was a success, or would you have hoped for more from him? Oh, I I think it's it was a success. I think it depends on your it depends on where, where you start from your baseline. I can remember the Sunderland away game when he when he set up some chances for Theo Walcott and we were all just doing two plus two. We're thinking, oh, can you imagine Ozil feeding Walcott? When's this? He's going to be fantastic. Finally, Theo's got someone to pass in the ball and then use his speed. And and these were the sort of basic sort of sums we were doing at the time. From my angle, Elliot, I would. I just look at his talent and think, wow, you know, um, he is a unique player and and uniquely talented. And to have that in our club was was so exciting. And I think what we do at Arsenal so many times when we have something like this, we then we then mess around with it. We then mess around with who he plays with, and we don't quite commit to that player, to that individual, to make him as successful as he could be. I sometimes feel we get these baubles in our team and we put them in there and we surround them with lesser lights and say, get on with it. You know, and I think when you buy a player like that, you have to really, really treasure that player's career and make sure it's part of an overall strategy rather than the finishing point. Because he, in my opinion, he's not that individual. He is somebody that's part of a collective. He may have superstar trappings and superstar followings and superstar wages, but he, I don't think he's got a superstar ego. So he isn't that alpha, and I think we needed to surround him with, 
with alphas to really bring out his talent and i don't think we quite did that so we didn't quite follow through and that and that led to the question you just asked which is a debate how successful was he in those early times and it is a debate and some of that debate is caused by his inconsistency caused by the environment he was allowed to exist in and it was also caused by some of the people he had to play with and adapt to so from my angle because i love the style of player and the technique of player he's he's successful but i still think it's a debatable point and and there are many 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 people wouldn't agree with me no i i think the one thing that we can agree on is he had some very high moments and he had some periods where his form was imperious uh if if you will allow me and and when he hit the high notes, he was a joy to watch. I would think it's fair to say, Tim, that perhaps, much like the team, Mesodozo struggled to influence the big games, and that maybe that was his shortcoming. Yeah. Before we come to that, <clears throat> let's talk about the high points. For you, are yeah. there any real high moments that stand out for you in terms of performances from Mesodozo that you could point to and say, if someone was going to watch a game or two of him at Arsenal, these are the ones I'd recommend? I think um, there was that game early on against Napoli um, at the Emirates in the Champions League, which is uh, is one of the best Arsenal performances I think I can remember you know from the funny? last five or six years. It's funny you mention that because I will always remember that game because I watched it in mm -hmm. Thailand on my honeymoon. So it's just it, it was a wonderful time of life, a wonderful place to be, and the fact yeah, that we yeah. took the time out of our honeymoon to watch it, like it, it all lined up. Yeah, that was a brilliant performance. Yeah, yeah, and he scores that superb goal um, as well in, in it, and uh, yeah, that's 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 definitely one of them. With with Özil, um, the, don't get me wrong, there certainly have been like incredible performances. There was one at home to Bournemouth a couple of seasons ago when I think he was in the best form of his Arsenal career um, around about the winter 2015, and um, it was. And I don't think this is a coincidence um, per se. It was while Alexis Sanchez was injured. Um, and I always thought that there was this tension between Sanchez and Ozil, not as people. Um, I think they got on um, and, and not an entirely bad tension because they, they had like a creative tension where they were always passing to each other. But I always felt there was a kind of, is this Ozil's team or is this Sanchez's team? And in that little period where Sanchez got injured against Norwich and he was out for a couple of months, that's when Ozil played his best football because it became Ozil's team indefinitely um, because there weren't, there were no other alphas around him at that point. Um, and I, I suppose we'll come on to this. There's there's probably a question here about is this Ozil's team or is this Ramsey's team at the moment, which is why we're doing the the joint podcast. But yeah, I, I think I think that Napoli game. I also think the 2015 FA Cup final. I thought his performance in that was totally underrated because um, we won four 0 and he didn't score any of the goals. I'm not even sure he got an assist. Can't remember if he took the corner that Mertesacker headed in, but I thought he just absolutely tore Villa to pit. Him and Cazorla that day were just, they might as well have been playing with a different ball. Um, it, it kind of brought me back a little bit to the days of Pires and Henri, kind of, you know, just playing wall passes to each other down the left-hand side. Um, yeah, I, I, and, and that's I think that's just a, a really underrated performance in his career as well. Yeah, there, there are a few that stand out for me as well. But Clive, let's just um, point to maybe just a few of the, the fallow periods as well. I think of the missed, was it? Yeah, he missed a penalty against Bayern, I believe, in that home home leg. Yeah. And 
there were a couple of Bayern performances that left a lot to be desired. I think the people that have not fallen totally in love with Mesut Ozil would point to some of the bigger games where he is disappointed, um, where we were pressed off the ball, where he wasn't able to get on the ball enough and, and really impose himself. And of course, there's been discussions of body language and things like that, which I think are overplayed. In my mind, Mesut Ozil has been one of the best players in the Premier League during his time at Arsenal. Um, his creative statistics really speak for themselves. But for you, I mean, is it the big games where a player of his stature needs to shine? And is that maybe where he he failed to to leave the imprint that he should have? I mean, he, he has got big pluses, but he's, he's also got big weaknesses. So, but this is why I often feel he's been a little bit let down by, by, by Wenger, actually. I think Wenger gave him the creative keys, but he never really gave him the people to protect him. And um, I think he overburdens people on their weaknesses. And so in big games, when we were out in tents and outran, the TV pundits look at our superstar and say, well, why hasn't he grabbed hold of this game and turned it around? And these people have influence and they influence people's views. And um, and then when we see a day like like the, the cup finals, like both the, the Chelsea and the Villa cup final, where he was hugely influential, we sort of say, well, that's what we expect from him. And really, he's somewhere in between. I mean, that buying game that you that you mentioned that game was unbelievable for, I think, about 15 minutes or so. And, and we were absolutely brilliant until that period. And then we get the moment that we create against a very good buying team and we are playing out of our skins. And there needs to be a moment of decisiveness, a moment of execution. We want our superstar to put the penalty away. And he just sort of lazily stroked it. And, and, and then it all went wrong after that. And you just think to yourself, that sort of epitomizes some of his time with us. He, he was at times very close to being elite, but come the moment he didn't quite execute on occasions in those big games. And I still think he needs to do that. I still think it's a missing paragraph on his CV for Arsenal. He's had very big moments, but I want more big moments against big teams, potentially away from home, when we, when other people are not quite doing it, and we turn to him, and then he finds a way to, to move the ship forward. And I, I think again, it comes back to your structures and how you view football. I'm a, I'm a pragmatist by nature. I like teamwork, but when someone has a unique skill set like him, I think we can carry one. Whether we can carry two, I'm sure that question will come up later on in the podcast. It will indeed. Um... Well, so let, let's do this, because I don't want to go over the history of the whole podcast. Obviously, we're going to get into uh, the contemporary situations in terms of tactics and where these players fit in and, and what the future holds for them. But I just want to finish off on Mesut Ozil before we turn to the history of Ramsey, and then we'll we'll transition into more contemporary discussion. Uh, Tim, I think you know, with Aaron Ramsey, uh, pardon me, with Mesut Ozil, one of the things that we got by getting him is that playmaker in midfield, but what we didn't get is Cesc Fabregas. I, I don't know that this is the case, but I think there is a lot of suspicion uh-huh. that it was assigning a Mesodozo that meant that we did not re-sign Cesc Fabregas. And rather than uh-huh. uh, you know move forward from that, I'd rather pick at the old wound as much as possible. So <laughs> for you, and I realize that this is a really, really difficult question, and, and the answer uh-huh. can be as nuanced or straightforward as you'd like it to be, do you have any regret 
about signing Mesut Ozil if it meant that that was the reason that Cesc Fabregas didn't return to Arsenal? No, none whatsoever. And um, I, I didn't want Fabregas to come back that summer. And when I say I didn't want, I, I don't mean that emotively. Um, because I, I didn't, you know, it wasn't like, no, he's a bastard. I won't have him back. It was it was purely tactical. He he didn't fit into our squad. We had Cazorla. We had, at the time, we still had some hope for Jack Wilshere. We had Ramsey and we had Ozil. Even if you take Ozil out, you've still got to sell a couple of those midfielders and you might argue that that's worth it. But Fabregas is a player as good and, well, not good, as brilliant as he is and was. He requires a lot of accommodation and that's why his career hasn't, though though his career still been very good, his career still hasn't hit the heights that he hit at Arsenal because at Arsenal it was built around him. And look what we did first time. We took, but well, Burkamp was kind of already on the way out. We took Henri out for him. We took Vieira out for for him. Pires went like that. Whole team was deconstructed to build around him, because that's the kind of accommodation that Fabregas needs. And you can see now in his career, he's thirty, and you know that that for a player like him, who's not a high energy player, who's a playmaker, that should be his prime. He doesn't get picked for the Spain squad, and it's not because he's a bad player. It's because it just takes so much to accommodate him. And Chelsea have found that. Chelsea don't always play him. Um, he's not an automatic starter there. And I think at, at that stage in 2014, we just bought Ozil, we just bought Sanchez. We had this midfield that we were trying to build. We had Cazorla. We would have had to have got rid of three or four of those and and tried to rebuild all over again um, around Fabregas and that would have taken a couple of years and 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 I I I just I don't think it would have worked and on slightly on the emotional side I understand why Arsene Wenger didn't want to do that again I understand why Arsene Wenger went do you know what I built one team around you and I worked really really hard to do it and you left. I, I'm not doing this again. Hmm. Um, you know, we need to look forward. So, um, no, I suppose my regret is that Fabregas left in the first place as much as I understood it. But once he did, um, I, I think we moved on. We moved past him. It's tough for me, and I will fully admit this, because why not? I mean, if you've signed up for our Patreon, hopefully you like us enough to tolerate what I'm about to say. Like, I <laughs> I became an Arsenal fan in the late, late 90s, really started to be a passionate Arsenal fan in the early 2000s. Now you could say that's bandwagon, but it also just coincides with when I was able to have access to Arsenal and understand the club, and, and it was obviously a great time to become an Arsenal supporter. Um, I know there are a lot of people probably listening to this now who missed those great years and became an Arsenal supporter following the Emirates move um, and have stuck with the club through that. But Cesc Fabregas was the first player that I watched grow up at the club. I mean, guys like Henri and mm-hmm. Vieira um, and Pires, they were titans to me. But I can't explain it. They they almost felt too big to love in some respects. And, and, and Thierry Henry was my absolute favorite, but... Fabregas was the precocious youngster who broke into a team of invincibles and and stood you know stuck with the team when the invincibles faded away and dragged us to top four finishes with you know players like Danielson by his side and I, I just I loved him his fight you know the 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 way mm. he cared for, seemed to care for the club and the manager and you know the way he went after Tony Pulis and the, how upset he got at the leg breaks and he just he felt like it mattered to him the way it mattered to me and I realized in the end the way he left was very painful, but 
something about him returning to the club, I, I wanted him back. And I think mm. if I could have had him back, that would have made some of the losing more tolerable. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not mm. going to win the Champions League and you're not going to win the Premier League, you might as well love the players you're rooting for. And I don't know mm. that I always loved rooting on, and you know this, Olivier Giroud and Francis Coughlin and some of those players. I would have loved rooting for Cesc Fabregas. I totally understand the reasons why he couldn't come back. Mm. And Mesut Ozil has been, in my opinion... A success, maybe a slightly qualified success. I don't think you can say an yeah. unqualified success, but I am certainly not complaining. But emotionally, I will fully admit it hurt me to see Fabregas go to Chelsea and yeah. win titles at Chelsea. Because at the end of the day, when when Cesc Fabregas retires, he's not going to retire an Arsenal legend. Um, it, 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 he may even retire reviled in some sectors of Arsenal fandom. And for me, Tim, mm. that that's painful because he was he was probably the first real love for me at Arsenal, not in a in a different way from the Invincibles. Am I explaining this right? Does that make any sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And and I think everyone felt like that, um, particularly at that time. And also, I think, you know, because we were doing, like, you know, the whole Project Youth thing at the time, and and you have to remember the context in which this happened. When that started, most people were behind it. Like, Arsene Wenger had a lot of credit in the bank, and when and you know and it was explained very clearly it's it's one thing that the club were absolutely clear about this is the way we're going they set it out very they set it out so clearly that we call it project youth and everyone knows what that means arsenal have never called it that not once that's the fans that have called it that because they got the message from the club so clearly that they gave it a name um and and fabregas was the symbol um of that and you know p- people all make fun of and, and you know understandably of like players like Danielson and all of that now but people were excited about that at the time they really yeah. were oh, they, yeah. they, they, there was a lot of yeah they, you know some of these guys might be really really good and, Clichy you know, it and Vela out, and Bentner yeah, and Danielson yeah. and Cesc dragged them to top four dragged them to yeah. semi-finals and quarterfinals of the Champions League at a Bayor for a season I mean it was it was a really interesting and dynamic time when we all felt like yeah. we were rallying together in the wake of something. Yeah, absolutely. And and he was, you know, he was obviously always the jewel in the crown. And particularly because Van Persie was injured so often, he was the one that kept that flame alive, um, basically. And when you think back to, you know, his goal against AC Milan, um, for example, which, you know, big, big kind of Fabregas memory, the way he celebrates it, um, you know, it, that, you're right. That felt that felt incredibly, incredibly meaningful. Yeah, the club felt like it meant something to him in a way that for I mean, look, Patrick Vieira is a legend. He also tried to leave the club every single summer too. You know, what I mean, anyway, mm. we're way off topic now. But I think for me, um, it, it, that that is bittersweet. The fact that that one stood in the way of the other. But Clive, let's let's get onto the Ramsey history for a minute, uh, unless you want to weigh in on the the Saskanozel thing. Does that interest you? Just only a little bit. Yeah, sure, Seth. please. So I think I think he um he he broke the manager's heart in my opinion. I've said this before. Totally I agree. By the way, yes, he 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 was Benga's perfect player. You know, he he was the player that he he'd always wanted to manage, and I, and I think he broke his heart. And I think I I honestly believe that the slide for Wenger started around that period downwards if he really wanted to look at how he treated players, how he how he went into a transfer market, um, things happened in his private life. I just felt that was a major moment when, you know, the the, the Fabregas Nazri era happened. I think he really, really emotionally built a lot into that team. 
And then I felt he became a more defensive manager, trying to defend his position, trying to defend his theory, trying to defend his club, trying to defend himself and how he saw the game. And I felt he became more reactionary rather than creative. And I honestly believe Seth Fabregas was the trigger to that. And I'm not sure what he was meant. We, we can all look back in hindsight right now. But I think he broke the, he broke the man's heart. And, um, I agree. And, that, and that's why the door was never reopened. There were many reasons we could have made a space for him. But I just don't believe that once his heart was broken, he could he could actually go back and do it again. Yeah, it, it, it was a very emotional player for everybody I felt and and it just it worked out the way it did and Mesut Ozil you know stayed he he got the 10 he was supposed to be the leader of the team certainly the the playmaker and I I think look Mesut Ozil is a certain type of player and he is an extraordinarily talented one he is not going to be the guy who shakes his fist at at his teammates and rallies the troops and that's okay not everybody has to be that so Aaron Ramsey, on the other hand, he comes to us as a young man who was courted by uh, United and chose Wenger's Arsenal over Fergie's United. And obviously, I think there was a lot of surprise and exhilaration when that happened, maybe in a slightly different way um, for Mesut Ozil. And he sort of spanned two generations, the project youth generation transitioning into whatever you kind of want to call this now, where we did spend some money on some big jewels in the crown, like Ozil, like Alexis, like Lacazette and Aubameyang. Um and obviously, his career will forever be broken, so to speak, pardon the pun, into two sections, the one before the leg break and the one after. Let's just briefly, uh, Clive, talk about before the leg break. How, you know, I, we know what you think of Aaron Ramsey now, unfortunately. At the time, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, at the time, when he, was, when he was a young man and had just arrived, and in those seasons just before the leg break, how high were you on his talent and how high did you think his ceiling could be? Well, for most Arsenal fans, the fact that we beat Man United to him, that was enough. Yeah, he was embra- he was embraced immediately, right? That the the money was the same. We did a better job in recruitment. We sold we sold him a better future. He chose us. Man, that was it. You are our hero almost from day one, right? So, so we we were sold, and and the the young Aaron Ramsey reminds me very much of Guendouzi today. Um, he was very cultish, very, very um, multi-positional. I mean, he's when he was at Cardiff, he spent time playing right back and, and centre half, and he was very, very young for short periods, and and he had the ability to do that. He probably a similar sort of profile to uh, young Ampadu, Ethan Ampadu, right now, multi-positional, way ahead of his time, a very skillful player, almost had a continental touch on the ball. And continental arrogance, and and yeah, there was there was no issues with him. He was just somebody we were waiting to to come to fruition, and and he was physically better than some of the other younger players around that time. Very good runner, very brave, very fearless. And I'll tell you now, I was a huge fan, an absolutely huge fan of him. And without because expectations were different then. He was just a young player making his way. And there were many young players making their way, some we mentioned earlier. And he was just another one. And, and I, I, I really enjoyed that period. And, and then the, the moment happened at, at Stoke, and, and I can remember it, actually. I think it wasn't at Stoke, but I was, I was at an England Rugby International. And I remember coming out of that game and just thinking, 
oh my god i was absolutely devastated i can remember it because he was really on the rise it seemed like he was just about to arrive and he was dominating games and his potential just looked like the absolute sky i mean elite i'm talking up to steven gerrard's level and beyond i mean that's where he was that's where he was projecting to and um and and it was cut down and when i eventually saw it on, on tv it it it, it it made it worse, right? It actually made it worse. And but there was something about that team that bonded together, and and it wasn't just what happened to him; it's what was happening to us at that period. I felt that we had a very young, creative team that was basically being kicked off the park, and it was allowed to be kicked off the park by how we were perceived and how we were refereed. And we had these spectacular leg break moments that epitomised that. And Aaron Ramsey suffered for that. And I remember thinking when all the players were looking at him on the floor, I remember thinking, I wonder what they're thinking. They were A lot of them, like Fabregas, were coveted by European clubs. And I was thinking, I wonder what they're thinking. I bet they're thinking, why am I playing for Arsenal? It's almost dangerous to play for Arsenal. We're not protected. Why am I playing? I, I remember thinking, some of them are going to go. And, I, and, and and it was so proved. I, I just felt that we were very victimised. And a young player like Ramsey was allowed to be literally kicked off the park. And his career basically stalled from two years plus after that period, which was a real shame. It was, and you know, I mean, if you look at that, the reason <clears throat> the Ramsey thing was so painful is it had come after Diaby's career was ruined, after Eduardo's career was ruined. Uh, Rasicki's career was ruined by injury through no fault of any other players, per se. Jack Wilshire's career really ruined, interrupted and ruined by injury. Um, Thomas Vermalen at the time, someone we thought, I think, pretty highly of, missed, what, 18 months or something. And you look at the team that Arsene Wenger tried to build. What a genius the man was. If you really think about Adebayor and Hleb and Rosicki and Wilshire and Ramsey and Fabregas and Eduardo, what a team he had. And that 07-08 team was a brilliant team that should have won the league. And the way it collapsed with Adebayor just turning into a you know a wanker who fucked off, but then between, you, you know, and Hleb doing the same and... um Rosicki getting broken and Diaby breaking and Ramsey breaking and well, being broken, let's call it what it is. And Wilshire, the, the team just disintegrated like <clears> sand <throat> through grains of sand through his hand. And Ramsey was really the the final moment of that team and the hope of that team evaporating. But I mean, he did come back from it. And Tim, he's had some very very high moments in the wake of that happening. And one of the things that I think is interesting, he's an incredibly polarizing player, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on why. I mean, this is a guy who has scored FA Cup winning goals for us, has some extraordinary goals. What was, who were we playing where he he scored a goal? It was a meaningless Champions League goal on the volley from like 35 yards. Oh, Galatasaray. Galatasaray. Yeah. That's right. He has some highlight goals. The one he scored last year that was it a, a little back flick floater in the in the penalty box he had one against Swansea that was a header he had the obviously the FA Cup winner in extra time what do you think is the cause of the the polarization around a player who has the ability to score sensational goals and has won us trophies with with some of his goals um so I mean some of it's um not entirely unfounded and and I wouldn't necessarily call it a distaste just you know just people who say <clears throat> he's not disciplined enough to hold his position and things like that and um, it does things to our shape which it's not entirely unfounded um, I think I, I've 
that that's always bothered me less and i think it's been slightly overplayed but i get it um i also think there's a there's an aspect to which people think that when a midfielder attacks that they're being selfish um somehow whereas actually i think when ramsey attacks he, he's definitely instinctive but actually it's it's quite depending on what system you play him in um it's incredibly useful to the team in his two best goal scoring seasons it's been exceptionally useful because last season we had um a fairly up and down Lacazette up front on his own without that much support and Ramsey really provided that support and then you know his his kind of breakout season I guess in 13-14 we had Giroud up front who you know you wouldn't necessarily rely on um in front of goal so he really took up that second striker um mantle coming from deep much in the way that Lampard did much in the way that Gerrard did um but also I think the the thing is with Arsenal we we spoke about this on the last pod didn't we about like Lucas Torreira and um we've had and again not entirely misguided we've had this like fixation with the defensive midfielder for years um you know and it's caused us probably to overrate players like Matthew Flamini and Francis Coquelin because everyone wants the defensive midfielder that that tackles and kicks people and 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 gets angry and points and things like that and and obviously Ramsey's playing in a midfield where he you know he's he's the attacking midfielder and people people don't want that from the Arsenal midfielder at that point because there's this perception that we already have enough in attack um and and they want you know the bruiser in there i i also think the the other reason um he can suffer with fans and i do think this is unjustified as they see him as flash um because of some of the flicks and tricks and things like that i i think people completely misread that stuff i think they completely misread it i think they pretty much always think that every single time a player does a back heel or a flick that they're showboating and um, with Ramsey, I don't think that's what it is. I think quite often it is the quickest and most efficient way to deliver the ball. And it takes it takes your opponents off guard. Um, and I think that's the context in which he uses those skills. But people have this idea in their heads that if you do anything other than trap the ball and kick it, that you're taking the piss and you're showing off and you know we particularly we don't like that in England yeah I, I think people entirely misread that with Ramsey and um I I think it it sticks in their craw a little bit so th- there are a few things but to be honest the the level of it at times has really really confused me because he's such like a vanilla character I don't yeah like th- there were times when, unless like, you hunt rhinos be... in which case look out <laughs> But there were times when his name would be announced in the starting lineup and people would be like posting death threats and stuff. I got, um, we drew one all away at Everton in November 2012. And this was a point where he wasn't playing that well. And um, I was writing stuff about him, like just saying, look, stick with this guy. He's he's going to he's gonna be fine because I always recognized something in him about um, about his kind of mentality and I felt like he was trying to do the right things. I felt like even though a lot of the fans were assholes to him, he didn't let it get to him. And I thought, no, he'll come through. He'll come through. So I wrote about it a lot. And uh, I, I was at the Urinals at Goodison Park at half time. We were 1-0 down. We eventually drew 1-1. 
and this I was I was taking a piss and this guy came up to me and he went it's because of cunts like you that we have to put up with uh, mediocre players like Ramsey oh, and he he actually like got aggressive towards me because I'd written stuff about Ramsey that was and I and I was just like this is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. Um, but then again, you know, six years later, I look at the world we live in and I think, ah, oh, yeah. It's reflective this, of what you see in the yeah, broader, this, broader social yeah. media. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, indeed life. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. This is why all these fascists keep getting elected. This is just what happens now. But anyway, so as some of it, the, 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 the level of it, I still don't understand to be honest. Yeah. I, I don't totally understand. And look, I mean, Everybody has favorites and everybody has players they like less. I yeah. think the the thing with Aaron Ramsey is it's difficult because he is a goal-scoring, chance-creating midfielder. And the perception has been that he has been that kind of midfielder by dint of avoiding his other midfield responsibilities. Mm. Um, I'm not sure that I buy that argument. But, Clive, I, you know, I think, look, in 20, what was it, 2013-14 season, I think he had that phenomenal purple patch where he started the season as I think the league's leading goal scorer and he wound up finishing with 10 and 8 10 goals and 8 assists in the season um, that was cut short by injury the problem for me with Aaron Ramsey has simply been that when he's got 8, 10, 12 games under his belt when he gets a run in the side he's he becomes a dominant force but because of the leg break he's always had muscular injuries that have popped up and those have always interrupted his season and prevented him from getting a real run of games going where he can get in a scintillating form at his best, what kind of player is he? And, you know, for Arsenal to get the most out of a player like this, how do you think he has to be utilized? Well, you know my thoughts. He's a, he's a third midfielder. He's a third midfielder or he's a third forward. And this is part of the reason why he polarizes. He wants to play in centre midfield, in an Arsenal team that generally plays two in midfield. Yet he will not adapt his game to that formation and what he does is he then plays the way he wants to play and he forces other people to adapt their game now it's really interesting Wells are playing tonight and Ryan Giggs has put him as one or two behind the forward Emery's come in and he's put him where's he put him he's put him behind the striker right Wenger would always accommodate and he'd accommodate in my opinion to the in a way, and I do agree with Tim, when when we had Giroud, we had more static midfielders around him. If he ran past them, then they would fill into where he was and we he would get his numbers and, and we all wanted him to do it because our goal scoring was not great and he was the person we were looking to. But things have changed right now. We've got Ozil, who's, who's a good goal scorer, who can be. We've got other forwards that are, are very good goal scorers. And I feel... You have to adapt your game. And, and, and I really feel, as a player, I think he's, I think he's very, very tactically poor. I, I don't think he feels the game in the correct way for somebody that's a fulcrum player. I think he follows the ball far too much. I think he's also, he, he has a... I don't think Arsenal fans really, really know him. I think he has a ruthless alpha male personality he will compete with people in his space 
He saw off Jack Wilshire and he's seen off Oxlade Chamberlain and he's seen them off by being more consistent than them and he will make sure he's a dominant factor in the team and the way he uses the ball. This is just the hierarchy of a dressing room and when you know football and you know a dressing room, you can see this. You can see it on the pitch by the way a player uses the ball, by the way a player promotes himself into certain positions and how a player then emphasises parts of his game that's going to make him a, a success. And I think there are a number of Arsenal fans that can see this in different ways. I do not ever. I mean, I am uh, I'm a football man that likes to analyse analyse things. But what I I always be respectful, always be respectful. But I think I can see this player. I, I really do. I think I can see him. And yes, he has a an, an unbelievable flourish. He is an end product player. But Arsenal have needed something else. And I'm an Arsenal fan. And we've needed something else for a long time. And what disappoints me about this player is I think he's got the capabilities to provide that something else. He could have been one of those two in centre midfield and offer us the security. But he chose to do something else. And other people make excuses for him and say, well, it's a manager that wants to push him on. That may have some truth in it. But in the end, you have to look around you if you're a football player, professional, and say... I need to do something different today. Right? I need to adapt my game differently for this team. And when fans see that, I think they're different to him. And I remember the Chelsea away game. He was unbelievable in that game. Held his position, ran Kante off his feet. It was a nil-nil draw. He hit the post. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I remember that performance. I remember his performance against Belgium in the in the Euros where he dominated a premiership Belgian midfield and he did dominate that game. He was the best player on the pitch and that's the elite level he can reach to when, he's, when he really is plugged into a role. And I felt at Arsenal, he has not respected us enough to do what the team has required. He wants to go out there and play the game he wants. And we've had a coach that's allowed him to do this. And our new coach is not going to allow him to do this. And to me, there's no surprise that his time is potentially coming to an end at the club. Yeah, I, I guess. I, look, I I think I can also remember you talk about the Chelsea game. He dominated the nil-nil. What about the one in the FA Cup final next to Granit Xhaka? What about Manchester City? I mean, they... they he ran the show in both of those games. We know he can do it. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is I wonder, and, and Tim, did you want to say the quiet part loud, by the way? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the, the other thing is, <laughs> now everyone's going to wonder about that. Maybe we'll put that on a future right, page. I, I will, I will, I will. So basically, while Clive was talking about, um, you know, Ramsey being like a, assertive and uh, alpha male, I was just uh, quietly reminiscing over the time that he punched Robin Van Persie in the face in the dressing room. Yeah, there ah. you go. <laughs> yeah, um, I, 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 honestly, I think he's, he's a ruthless individual. You have to be to be an elite sportsman. You have to go. You Especially to with what he's been sets. through. Look, he had his leg broken. Regardless of that, mate, regardless of that, as you come through academies, there are selection criteria. You're up against tens and tens of other kids. You get through to certain grades. You get your scholarship. You have to make things work for you. 
you have to be selected. Football is 99.9% rejection. And these ones that reach the, the level of Arsenal, they're lottery winners. And you have to be ruthless to make sure you're progressing and progressing and progressing. And when you get to a club like Arsenal, you go into a dressing room and there are players like Riziki and all these people around and Wilshire. Everyone tells you Wilshire's a golden child. He is not having any of that. He wants their spot. He wants to be the golden child. And you know what? You need that mentality. Don't think because he's a quiet guy and he likes elephant and rhinos that he's not ruthless. He is ruthless. He's a ruthless individual on the football pitch. And he's, he, I, have to, I don't want to call him selfless, selfish. That's a different word. He's ruthless and he makes the game work for him. Yeah, and I don't... he needs a coach that's going to say, no, you have got amazing talents. I never question his talents. I always question his style and how he goes about the game. I never question his talent. You would be blind not to see his talent. You just have to I look at the goal against Fulham to know that. <laughs> yeah, but that that goal had other people involved in it. You know what? You made a joke on the last podcast. I said you were disappointed that Ramsey scored it. I was disappointed he scored it. I wish he assisted it. Because what it does is it then feeds the narrative that his success criteria is judged in goals. And all we've done this season is replace him in centre midfield with Lucas Torreira. Now, how do you feel about our centre midfield now? Much more secure. So let me ask you this, though. Why can't Aaron Ramsey be Deli Alley? What has Deli Alley got that Aaron Ramsey doesn't have? Deli, Deli Alley, I think they're quite similar in place. I think, I think Aaron Ramsey's better than Deli Alley. All right, so, think, so is, is that just the issue? Should, if, if he measures himself in goals, and he's got the goals in him, and he can run, and he's got tricks and flicks, and he, and he has end product now. I mean, he didn't used to be a great finisher. He used to underperform his XG. But he's a, you yeah. know, from central midfield, he's a two-and-a-half shot a game kind of guy. I mean, could, could his role be as more of a forward player? Well, that's what we're trying. And he's played number 10 for six games. Didn't score a goal. That, that role, that role. Well, well, you know what? Let's do this. Let's put that on hold just for a second because we are going to come to the now, the contemporary. We're, we're, we're up to okay. that point now. So let's do this. Um Let's take a break. We'll let Scott give us the statistics. We'll let Paul give us his soliloquy. He's going to lean back in his in his comfy leather chair, swilling his his brandy and his cigar, and he's going to just wax lyrical uh, for a moment about Ozil and Ramsey, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the here and now. How do you get the most out of these players? Can you get the most out of these players? What's going to happen with Ramsey? I have had quite a bit of cold and flu medicine, so that's why I'm even uh, more fast-talky than usual, but... Don't mind that. And you know what? There's no commercial coming up because this is this is uh, Patreon, so no advertisement. We're going to go right to Scott, then to Paul. We'll be back. Okay, now we have Scott on the pod to give us the statistics to contextualize the players but also undermine all the arguments we've been making and will go on to make. So Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Scott, always a pleasure. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, you sound it. Um, so uh, let's start with Aaron Ramsey. Look, what we really want to do, I think, in your section here is just contextualize, like I said, who these players are, where they are elite. Because for some people, I think there is a confusion about, first of all, whether they are elite at all, and if so, how and why. So where does Aaron Ramsey distinguish himself or maybe not distinguish himself according to the statistics historically? Sure. So um, Aaron Ramsey is a very unique player. Um, he plays in midfield, but he has the shooting stats of a good forward, not an elite forward, but a good forward. Um, but he still adds quite a bit of value as an actual midfielder. So he's a, a very interesting and special player. Uh, there's really not a lot of players that really 
profile like him from a stats play, uh, perspective. Um, and actually fitting him into uh, a role is quite difficult. Uh, he's not really a number 10. He's not really a traditional midfielder. He's almost a, a throwback to, you know, the old traditional English midfielder, you know, Frank Lampard kind, uh, swashbuckling, trying to, to look to score. So that's really where he fits in. Um, so when you look at his stats, his shooting um, numbers are going to be the, the big thing um, of how many shots that he's able to actually produce, uh, pulling that up right now yeah, on and, him. And so, I mean, when you comp someone like Aaron Ramsey, like radars and things like that, the players that, that wind up being reasonable comparisons for him or analogs for his output tend to actually be, you know, forwards and things like that, don't they? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's tough. So he's, he has similar stats to say like a, a number 10, but does a lot more on the defensive side um, because he plays deeper. Um, but, you know, if you compare him to say, you know, uh, an actual forward, he might have less of the assists or he might have less of the, the dribbles because that's not really his forte because he's used you know a little bit deeper where you know those kinds of things aren't going to happen quite as much and his skills are arriving late in the box to get on the end of shots so, um, so know, where do we see elite say, like yeah, 2015 16 yeah. mm-hmm. um you know his shot numbers you know he's uh 2.4 shots per 90 2016 17 he's at three shots per 90 wow. 2017 18 He's at uh, 2.6 shots per 90. So those are all really good numbers. Um, can, can you can you profile that in terms of uh, where that would compare to sort of other midfield? Is that top 10%? Is that you know 20th percentile? Where is he in terms of his shot volume? Uh, compared to midfielder, he's going to be you know in the 90th percentile or higher. Um, compared okay. to forwards, he's at you know about the 75th percentile. So it's it's pretty good. So, so you are getting good striker. Um, shot numbers from uh, a, you know a midfielder so you know the player that actually really kind of profiles him um, would be like a Paul Pogba um, or Phil Coutinho but both of those guys shots are um, from a lot further out in general um, Ramsey's special in that his shots um, in general are going to come from inside the box um, and very good shooting locations so then okay so for people who say he abandons his midfield role and that's why he has these statistics, you said he actually profiles pretty well in terms of his defensive statistics too, though. So what's, what's the answer for someone who says, I feel like he destabilizes our midfield by leaving it? Statistically, do, look, stats don't tell you everything about where a player is playing. They just don't. But do, do they bear out the argument that maybe he's been a more attack-focused player? Yeah, I think he is. But, I mean, I, he definitely is doesn't shirk his responsibilities on defense so you know last year he had almost five defensive actions um per 90 um which is you know about a 75th percentile number so i mean it's not going to be ngolo conte you know busy but it's not like he's avoiding things um the one thing that i really would say that he's not good at is actually um making his tackles um he has dribbled past quite a bit uh part of that could be that he attempts a lot of tackles that maybe aren't the easiest ones to do. Um, I know a lot of times watching him, he tries the little hook tackle where he comes in from behind and really tries to hook um, around the player and get the ball. Um, so when he does that, something like that, it's pretty easy if the player makes a move to, to get through him and he's gone. But if it does work out, it's an amazing thing. And, you know, Arsenal often on a counterattack after a play like that. Um, so part of that could be a style thing that isn't picked up in the numbers. Um, but I wouldn't say that he's a, a bad defender or that he doesn't try on defense. Um, but he does, his positioning needs to be covered. So that's why I've always said that he would work best in a midfield three. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think the perception of Ramsey has been that he he has destabilized this team with his forward runs, but those runs are what make him really special and where he really uh, has elite contribution. If he gets dribbled past a lot and he's not particularly great defensively, even if he's trying, then th- then it begs the question, is there a better position to play him in? Well, Emery has tried that this season and it hasn't worked. Can you sort of compare his numbers this season? I mean, it's not a ton of minutes, but even at a glance, I can tell his shot numbers are way down. Yeah, so kind of looking at things, almost everything across the board um, is way down um, from him. So, you know, last year he was at um, almost five defensive actions per 90. This year he's at 3.8. Almost, you know, his shots are are way down. He's at, uh, just got to find it on here. I'd fill this with an advertisement usually, but we're on Patreon now, so we can just fill it with dead air. There we go. That's always the, the fun thing to do. Here we are pulling it up. And this year he is shooting 1.4 um, shots per 90. So Almost that's a full shot a game down or more. Yeah, so and that's the thing that's <laughs> kind of puzzling. He seems to be playing further forward but is more isolated. Um, I do remember, I, I can't remember which season it was exactly. It might have been the 16-17 the season. Um, or actually, it could have been the 14-15 after his really good season um, that he had. Um, where he really kind of got into this groove of wanting to almost play as a, a second striker up with Giroud. And he really got the same thing where he was isolated far too often and um, Arsenal couldn't um, get into the games. Um, but then, you know, 15, 16, 16, 17, um, he really seemed to go back to basics a little bit more and play a little bit deeper. And you could see that that was getting the best out of him, in my opinion. Um, and I think that 13-14 season really was the epitome of him as an, an elite player um, where he was able to be partnered with um, Mikel Arteta, which was able to cover for a lot, um, which Arsenal haven't been able to really replace. And that really unlocked him so much where his ability to move forward was um, maximized. Purely on statistics, if you worked for Stats DNA and, and you were a quant and your only job was to make an assist- a statistical evaluation, there were other people who would evaluate another based on other factors would you looking at the statistics say that this is a player that arsenal should be backing up a truck full of money to to keep at arsenal or would you say he's one we can we can let go i would probably pass on um giving him a a huge uh, mess at ozil style you know paycheck yep nope fair enough that's all that's all i wanted to get so let's move on to mess at ozil now ramsey has some areas where he is elite statistically the statistics Regardless of what your eyes tell you, the statistics have traditionally loved Mesut Ozil, correct? Uh, especially mine that, that look to try to find things that aren't um, captured in the, you know, getting on the score sheet uh, number. So, you know, the assists and goals. So um, to me, he does so many other things that... What are they? Um, Let, let's uh, quantify them. What are what are some of the things that your spreadsheet uh, wants to reach out and touch Mesut Ozil over? So the big thing is his ability to pass the ball. Um, we all know that he is excellent at creating um, shots for teammates, but he's also really good at you know the pre-assist or the hockey assist where he sets up the player who sets up the final ball. Um, and even with his ability to build from deep, he is so good at finding space, being able to turn, look at the field, and find another player in space. Um, so I have the, the statistic, the, the passing value added, and 
it, it almost seems like I, I built it to maximize Mesut Ozil. It really wasn't the intention, but it really was the the result. Um, almost every season going back to 2015-16, um, he has been the, the leader or the second player. I think last year he was just behind uh, Kevin De Bruyne, um, but you know De Bruyne had a, a lot more minutes. Who are um, some of the players Ozil. that are around him? Just to just to know if this is sort of a, a fluky thing or if these are some of the other players we might consider elite. Yeah, so the the players that typically are around him are uh, Hazard, uh, Silva, De Bruyne, uh, Cesc Fabregas, uh, Phil Coutinho before he moved to to Barcelona. Um, so really, it's the the best players. So it's the best in players the in the league. Yeah. So I mean, what you're saying is uh, Alexis, it's not like Alexis before he went to you know Manchester, Manchester United, United was be, yeah be, became a yeah a ten thousand pound uh, uh, millstone around their neck. Look, I. I think that's telling, though, because what it says to me is this statistic, while it favors Mesut Ozil, it favors other very, very good players that we think very, very highly of. So certainly it's indicative that he is keeping that... The fact that he is keeping that company is indicative of his quality. So, you know, are there statistics where Mesut Ozil maybe doesn't achieve what we'd like from him in his position? I mean, certainly end product. I mean, I think the modern number 10 gets on the score sheet more often. Um is is that something we should look at? Or are there other issues that you have with him statistically? Yeah, so I think you, you look at things like um, the amount of shots. Because I've always impressed with how well he's able to shoot the ball. But it's just not in his nature to want to be selfish, I guess, and take that shot for himself. He's always looking for his teammates. Um, he's been pretty consistently between one and one and a half shots per 90 um, which you know isn't bad, but for a player who's playing that far up the field, you really do want them to play a little bit more. Um, the one thing that also really sticks out is his defensive actions. He is very low on those. Um, so when I'm saying defensive actions, so we're looking at um, interceptions, tackles, fouls. Um, so even though a foul isn't a, a positive, you know, thing where you win the ball back, it still shows that you know you're attempting things. Even being dribbled past depends on the foul. Defensive yeah. Action. yeah, that's true. Um, so, you know, last year he was just at two and a half defensive actions per 90, which is, is quite low. Um, really, um, do, do you have De Bruyne's for that out of curiosity? I mean, I think he's an interesting comparison player because I think De Bruyne is sort of the quintessentially modern number 10 who covers a lot more of the pitch, um, you know, and, and gets on the end of moves a lot more, whereas Mesut Ozil is a much more traditional playmaking number 10. Um, you know, that you said that in PPVA, uh, progressive passing value added they are right next to each other or adjacent to each other but i'm curious whether we see de bruyne sort of distinguish himself in terms of his defensive contribution yeah so de bruyne last year was at uh, four and a half uh, defensive actions per 90 which Almost is double. Uh, exactly and it's um yeah so mr Ozil was yeah two kevin de bruyne's you know four and a half so that it turns it out is to be quite, more than double uh, <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, De Bruyne, and it's also the the role that he's being asked to play, uh -huh. especially last year under Wenger. Uh, Ozil was basically given the, the free role, saying you don't have to do anything, um, which when you have a player of Ozil's uh, caliber, you know, that can be, you know, understood because, you know, basically he was given the, the keys to create as much as possible. Um, and it really did maximize a lot of the other things he did. Um, but it is going to show up in, compared to, to other players. Yeah, well, that, I mean, look, that is that is an interesting issue because I think it's one that people would have said, I didn't need the statistics to know it. So, you know, it may be a case where your eyes, your eyes are telling you exactly what's happening on the pitch. Before we let you go, um, let's just get a sense of where Mesut Ozil's career is going at Arsenal. And certainly, um, 
while the winning has been great, it hasn't necessarily been a great time for Mesut statistically. Am I correct to say that he is in the midst of one of his worst periods uh, at the club in terms of his statistical achievement? Yeah, it's it's quite concerning um, for me. Um, I posted this on Twitter the other day and uh, got quite a bit of feedback on you know just how everybody was quite um, surprised by this. Um, almost everything across the board is down. Um, the number of key passes he's making, um, the expected assist um, rate he has is way down. Um, the big chances that he's creating, um, the number of killer passes. So um, those are you looking at the, the passing value added. So those are passes that are uh, greater than 0.5. Um, so those are going to be your your line breaking passes, your passes into the box. So they don't necessarily have to create um, a shot from them, um, but those are ones that really cut open the defense. Um, even his deep completion, so the the number of passes that he completes to within um, 18 yards of goal um, are way down compared to to last year, um, or even you know 16, 17, or 15, 16. Um, so it's a, a quite a conundrum. Um, I think that there was some some positivity um, from the the last match that um, he was. Um, it wasn't the the full match. The the one before that against Everton, remember Wofford? Watford. Watford. There we yep. go. He got a goal. There we go. Yeah. So and then also um, it was quite a big uh, difference where he was um, on the left um, in that second half. And it really seemed to, to get him more involved in the game. He had most touches that he's had this season um, coming from the, the left-hand side. Um, especially with Arsenal's attack right now, it's very left-handed uh, biased. So I think that might be um, a move that, that might happen down the road. So if um, you know Arsenal are going to switch with this 4-4-2 um, or even the, the 4-2-3-1, I think using um, Ozil as the, the left-handed midfielder um, might be the the better move for him instead of the right. Yeah. And then the, the problem you have is that Iwobi's done brilliantly there. Um, and Mkhitaryan's done brilliantly on the right. Aubameyang is, is in the mix. So it, it is a conundrum for the manager. So let me ask you the same question. I, I asked you regarding Ramsey again, you work for stats DNA. Congratulations on your job. They're asking you last January, we're thinking of giving Mesodos with 350,000 pounds a week, purely on the statistics alone. At that point, did he profile like a player who deserved one of the highest wages in football? Uh, I think so, um, especially considering at that point, you know, the cost of having to replace him. Um, you really can't replace his skills that he is able to bring to the team. So it's fair to say that as far as we're going to go, it sure as hell wouldn't hurt to have Mesut Ozil producing at the level that he's capable of. Yeah, and I've uh, been big on the, the Ozil bandwagon. I picked him earlier in the year as my, my breakout player. And, you know, the player that I really was hoping to I don't know if you heard this, maximize. but I, I picked uh, Alex Wobie, and he's he's doing pretty well. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> so right now I'm, I'm, I'm still really hoping for, for him to come good and uh, him to be able to find a spot in this system that really brings the most out of him. And not just because I want to look smart. Well, that's, that is a, a positive that would come with it. But I think if Ozil is playing well, Arsenal is playing well, Right now, the results have looked good, but the actual numbers that underlie those uh, results um, are not as good. Um, kind of like know... the, yeah, the, the team and the players in, as a whole. Yeah, yeah. so I think if, if Arsenal do want to have a chance to get the top four, let alone a title challenge, which is definitely a little premature to be talking about, um, I think Ozil is going to be a big part of that, and he needs to be maximized to be able to get Arsenal clicking on offense. Well said. Good stuff as always, Scott. Scott is good people. You should follow him at Twitter, on Twitter at uh, O underscore that underscore crab. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Uh, you are working on a new XG shop, uh, XG model, correct? 
I did, yeah. So I just posted that today. Ooh, uh, so have to it's going to look out. at yeah shot placement. So it looks at where the the ball is inside of the the frame of goal, um, as a way of kind of determining how likely it is to actually be scored. So not only does it take into account you know how far and where you are on the pitch, but also where the ball actually goes after you kick it. You happy with what you're seeing with it so far? Um, so far I think it's it's pretty good. Um, yeah. So it's one of the things that I think will be interesting to watch. It's going to replace my my naive shots on target model. And um, I think it's going to be interesting. Exactly. So, yeah, well, just a quick thing. Yeah, so if you look at, you know, Lacazette, um, everybody's talking to him about being a, a good finisher, and the numbers do back that up. Um, right now, it's almost a, a full goal added by his shot placement. So that's something good. So right now, I have him at, at about two um, expected goals, but his shot placement um, um, XG is just under three. So um, I think that's a, a pretty solid... Uh, you know, thing to look at there. So yeah, no, there's, I, there's more good stuff coming from that. I think, you know, the more time and effort you're willing to put in the statistics that help me sound like I know what I'm talking about, the better. So keep it up. Long may it continue. Um, and we'll hopefully talk to you after the, uh, well, next week we're going to do a listener question one. And I'd love to have you on that. So uh, you can answer some stats related questions if you're open to that. I think I'll be available. Great. Good stuff. All right. So we'll talk to Scott uh, next week. Coming up next, Paul is going to sit back in his cozy chair swirl his his brandy uh, puff on his cigar give us a soliloquy and then after that we'll come back with clive and tim and we'll talk about uh specifically what's to come from ramsey and ozel this season so stay with us we got a lot more coming up woohoo pause here um got a bit of a cold but uh, i'm not one to moan and sure if i did who'd be listening well you lot would um so a couple of notes here from elliot he says under no circumstances should i sing Hmm, well, if the muse takes me, it takes me, we'll see. And also, he'd like me to pause every 60 seconds or so, so we can insert him interrupting me rudely. Hmm, we'll see. Um, so, yeah, here we are. Eight PL games into the season. Um, an interlull in place, which is kind of odd, um, just as we're maybe getting going. A um, couple of Europa League games a Carabao Cup game and what to construe from all of that on the Ozil and Ramsey thing apart from we haven't found anything that's really working for either one of them so far and certainly not together and maybe they can't play together for reasons we could probably all guess at uh, especially with the Obama Yang in the team then you have four players in the three players in the front four who need some compensation from the rest of the team uh, one free player is one thing, but having three players who need uh, others to provide extra TLC on cover and positional stuff, uh, all of whom are more effective pointing upfield, is just a bit too much of a burden, especially when one of the midfielders is going to be Chaka, who's maybe doing much better as a partner with Torreira, but still not ideal. Um, the only thing I would say in terms of the fact that uh, Emery has tried a bit of everything so far. He hasn't tried um, Ozil too often from the 10. And I think it was Tim who said he'd like to see Aubameyang played from the right. I think that would appeal too, because Ozil will still tend to drift left, but put those diagonal balls to the player ghosting in from the right, and you would want that player very probably to be Aubameyang. So if you're going to play those two together, that would be something interesting scene we haven't really tried so far. And I'm really in the mode of what have we not seen so far? Uh, the 4-2-2-2 or 4-2-2 or 4-4-2 four, four, 
the kind of Fulham setup, maybe Ramsey and Ozil in it instead of Mkhitaryan and Iwobi or one and the other. We haven't really seen that. And I don't have a great preference for how we line up. We've seen what hasn't worked and we could theoretically say what could work, but there aren't too many options left. But we haven't played much of Ozil at the 10. Uh, we played Am- Ramsey at the 10 quite a lot. We haven't played him in midfield. I feel I've seen that often enough that I don't need that proved to me that as a part of a two-man CM, um, he's okay as a CM, but the only reason you're playing him there is because he bombs forward and gets into the box a couple of times a game um, to create chances, and I'm not super excited to see that again. Um, I mean, I love them both. I want us to find ways to make it work. But I, what I really think is, if we get the Leno thing going and the playing out from the back, and the players are still learning that. I mean, we saw Monreal giving a goal away. Was it against Fulham? Certainly in the last game or two, playing out from the back badly. Now, if it, I mean, he's a smart, technical player, and if he's confused about what to do and when, it tells you we're still learning the system. And so we haven't really seen us mastering playing out from the back, but we might be about to, or at least... Uh, improving and getting useful with it. It's more of a liability than an asset at the moment. And when that turns around, then we'll start producing upfield and and mixing how we progress the ball. And we're just starting to have a midfield now with Torreira and Chaka. And those are two big uh, step-ups. And it will take more than eight Premier League games or 11 games in total, which we've won nine of. Thank you very much. Um, It'll take a lot more than that. Uh, there's a reason it's. they say the manager will need uh, three or four windows to sort the players out for his system. The one thing we have not seen any of, I would argue, is pressing. We are we've far less of a pressing team than we were last year. And I think we've just backed off that because there's, there's too many spinning plates on sticks right now. So we got those two areas sorted out. And then I think you can almost go back through all the configurations again of where we've tried Ozil and Ramsey because it's kind of all new to have Torreira in place, to have Chaka with some support so we can get his head up and try and pick out Ozil. <clears throat> and we can try Ramsey through the middle and Ozil on the right, especially Ramsey through the middle when we get round to actually trying to press again because it doesn't really make sense playing him at the 10 if we're not playing a pressing lineup. Uh, he should bring us a lot on that. Um, and you could see why Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang uh, and Ozil and, he, and Lacazette, I mean, he's been very physical and aggressive. When we get around to being a pressing unit up front, I think it kind of changes the question again. And so we're we're asking why it doesn't work at the moment and we haven't really pressed since City and Chelsea. The only time we pressed, I would argue, our most aggressive press was in the Carabao Cup with Danny Welbeck up front and the front three pressed their asses off. And it was kind of pretty impressive, but it stood out as one more experiment, like the three at the back in the Europa League and uh, this lineup against Fulham, which didn't have either of the uh, two aforementioned stars in it. And it seems we're, we're cycling through the options and that's okay. But I think we get to cycle through all those options again. We think we've seen and felt we've seen, um, starting with getting our defense and our midfield nailed down, and we'll see what we'll see. But for me, Ozil through the middle. Uh, not not at all sure how we use Ramsey. Um, 
probably in a a construct that gives us an extra midfielder or a four two two two. Um, otherwise, I don't really know how that works and with his contract situation. And I really, really like Mkhitaryan. I think our three best PL attacking performances in, included the two losses against City and Chelsea. And, of course, the Fulham game. And Mkhitaryan being on the right, working with Bellerin for uh, and particularly stood out, obviously, with Chelsea and Fulham. And I don't know why we don't see more of that, but I guess the manager's still scratching his head on the Oza Ramsey thing and he's trying to fix that conundrum. And he wasn't expecting to have to play Obama Yang on the left. So I think there's just a lot, a lot more iterations here. I don't know what the answer with the boys is, but boys are, but put Ozil back in the middle. Um, not sure about Ramsey, but maybe there's a configuration we can come up with that. But if we get the, the middle, the defense working. Uh, start producing, start creating more supply uh, and have Torreira and Chaka get their heads up and find Ozil because uh, there's no point in having him on the pitch if he's only getting a few touches and a few passes and get ourselves into the, the end zone there, into the final third and then get a pressing game going and that's when I think Ramsey starts to make more sense again in the front four and Ozil to a degree and we're not remotely pressing at the moment I think we're... Th- uh, the very much the middle of the pack in a very unexciting way in terms of pressing. In other words, we are not pressing. Um, that's really what I have to say on it at the moment. I'm sure the lads did a fine job covering all the other bases, onwards and upwards. But it'll be exciting after the interlull. We're all feeling a bit of foreboding, uh, but optimism. Um, and we'll see what we see. But lots of iterations. Edison with his 10,000 light bulbs till he finally gets one that works right. And I think that's the phase we're in. Okay, we're back. We're back with Tim. We're back with Clive. We're back with me. And now we're going to talk contemporary Ozil and Ramsey. And Tim, let's start with Aaron Ramsey. And let's just start with the very basic <clears throat> question uh, I think that has to be addressed. Do you think that Aaron Ramsey is going to stay at Arsenal? No. Okay. So if Aaron Ramsey is not going to stay at Arsenal, um, do you think he will leave in January? I think it's. I think Arsenal would be okay with that. I don't think that it's going to happen though, because why would you if you were Aaron Ramsey? Take the big payout on a Bozeman. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Bozeman, whatever. Sorry. Yeah. Um, okay, so then there are some people who would say, oh, let him rot in the reserves. I mean, with all mm. due respect to that perspective, I don't, I don't understand how that helps Arsenal. Um, no. You know, and I'm not really sure what Aaron Ramsey has done wrong. The club could have sold him at any time. We didn't. We missed our window, mm. and now he can leave for free. What is the right way to handle it in your mind? Do you do you use him sparingly? Do you use him as fully as possible since he's still an Arsenal player? How would you handle it? Um, I'd probably use him as an impact sub. Um, if if indeed um, everything we hear is true and it's, it's just an absolute dead end at this point, um, yeah, I'd, I'd use him a bit like we used him against Fulham um, as an impact sub. And, and when you look at that goal uh, against Fulham, uh, yeah, he scores it. He also starts it from right back. Um, in fact, he goes right back and then he's involved in central midfield and then he, he goes into the box. And um, I mean, I, I think in the system that we're playing, if we're not going to play him in uh, in the double pivot uh, where Xhaka and Torreira are, I'd, I'd play him on the right. If um, if that's if that's what we're going to do, just because it 
it gives him a little bit more freedom. And actually, he was playing on the right against Fulham. But, you know, so he starts at right back, goes into the centre. The ball goes over to the left and then he can get in the box. So I, I think that that if we're definitely not going to play him in the double pivot, I think that suits him better. But at, at this stage, yeah, I'd use him as an impact sub, uh, maybe use him in the Europa League um, as well. And when I say this, I don't I don't mean it to like punish him, but, um, you, you know, you, listen, you know, I, I love the player and always have. But, you know, I said at the beginning of the summer that the, the time's right to sell, to cash in because, you know, we've got a bit of a problem coming with how to fit him in. And, then, and that's how it's turned out. Um, you know, one day an Arsenal manager is going to listen to what I have to say. Um, but but so so at this point, when I say like use him as an impact sub, I don't mean it in terms of I'll oh, fuck him. You know, I, I mean it in terms of he doesn't really fit at the moment and it's not really worth our while trying to make him. So I, I think as an impact sub against tiring defences, um, I, I think he'd be very, very good anyway. Um, in that role so that that's probably how I'd manage it at the moment yeah and I, I don't necessarily disagree with that although the interesting thing is that Mesut Ozil didn't play at the weekend and Ramsey did and we yeah. saw how effective he could be so Clive I mean this is where this podcast is going to this was it's it's an exorable conclusion to some extent yep. is the discussion of well first of all why don't I let you have a swing at the, the question Tim got because I think it's an important one do you think that Ramsey will be here for the balance of the season I think he will go in January. And the only reason, I'm going to put some sums together, right? So he's just about to have twins or just had twins. I've been away for a couple of days and I missed it. So that means he's not looking to go abroad. Would we all agree on that? Right? So if I, there, I think there were Juventus what, rumors as recently as today. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I just can't imagine him going abroad with very, very young children. That just, that's just me as a parent talking, right? So um, I could be wrong, right? So, and, and that means he's going to go to, a, to a, a premiership club, which, again, I've read that's what he prefers. And there are two or three clubs that would take him no problem. With Manchester United, Liverpool and Chelsea, that all play with three men midfield. And because there is a market developing for him, they need to secure him. They can't make him sign a contract in January, but by paying Arsenal a 20, 25 million, they get the chance to secure him ahead of time against their competitors. So I think potentially he could go in January. If he chooses to go abroad, he can sign in January, pre-contract, it's done and then we have to carry him for the rest of the season. And the way Tim's alluded to using him would make perfect sense. That's how I see the story ending. I've always felt that Aaron Ramsey was due to leave Arsenal at this age. Uh, I think potential of a new coach maybe made him think again about that. But I also think he should look at his agent and look at himself and say, how have I played my hand here? Have I overplayed my hand? Have I asked for slightly too much? The fact that he never responded to a contract that was on the table for a long time, I felt the club was a little bit insulted by that. And then I asked myself the question, and I would ask, if I was him, I'd ask myself the question, have I defined myself appropriately? And we've had this, we've been talking about him for many months and years, and we still debate what he is. And even in this little short conversation we've had, we spoke about him as a 10, as a part of a double pivot, and we spoke about him on the right. 
we speak about him on the right, and I too would like to see him on the right, but he has not got the humility of other people have to move different positions. He wants to be where he wants to be. And I'm not sure where that is. It's in the centre of the pitch doing what he likes. And therein lies the problem. Therein lies the division. Therein lies the debate. Therein lies the question, why should we pay this person a quarter of a million pounds a week when we don't know what he is? We don't know if he fits. It does not make sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in general, as much as I like the player, I'm probably leaning towards that conclusion. I think it is funny how short-termist we've become because... I saw a lot of people who hadn't cared if Ramsey stayed stayed or went uh, on the heels of the Fulham substitute appearance change their mind and say pay him what he wants. You know, I mean, it is yeah. it is really short termist right now. I, I think the worst case scenario, you guys and I, I don't know how you can disagree with this. Is he signs a, a pre contract abroad in January and stays with us the balance of the season because you know, or even doesn't sign and just stays with us because he is a player with an injury history. He's going to want to make sure he protects that big wage that he should get. This is going to be his his one really mega contract. And you just wonder how how hard he, for the, he's going to be willing to fight for the cause uh, as the season starts to wrap up. And especially if we're chasing top four or if we are you know, going after uh, the Europa League deep in that competition, how much is Aaron Ramsey going to want to commit to us when he's got a big contract on the horizon? So that's something I would worry about. Tim, I guess with Mesut Ozil, then the question becomes... First of all, can these two play together? And and you know, with Mesut Ozil, he's been he's been put out on the right in that the the three behind the striker in a four two three one this season. It hasn't really worked for mm-hmm. him. So let's let's answer a couple questions about Mesut Ozil. I mean, first of all, just very quickly, do you think that there is a way to get Ozil and Ramsey into the first eleven right now that makes sense in Emery's system? Um, only if we play one striker. Okay, and I mean. Is that That's, something you'd be okay with? I mean, how do, how would you do it? No, no, not necessarily. Um, to be honest, um, I I think you know we saw it in 2013-14. Ozil and Ramsey were fine because we were only playing Giroud um, up front, and we had like Cazorla on the left, who wasn't much of a goal threat. Um, if you've got a system like that, I think it's absolutely fine. I mean, look at look at what Spurs do: Eriksson, Ali, and Kane. You've got a striker there. You've got someone running off the striker, and then you've got a creator. Um, I think you can do that, but I, I just don't think that is that's not the way that Emery is going to play. So uh, under Emery, I, I don't think you can get them into the same team uh, comfortably. No, no, I, I, I agree with you. And I mean, do, do you agree that it, it hasn't worked with him on the on the right? I mean, that that position has has been a challenge yeah. for him, at least in the system. So then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say with Ozil, play him at number 10 or don't bother. I mean, that that sort that's of fine. feels like what it is. So. You know, especially when we saw uh, this four four two or four two 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 that that worked really well against Fulham. If that's something that that Emery wants to try more often, there isn't really a role for Ramsey uh, for for Ozil in that, is there? Uh, not not in maybe not in that kind of well. I suppose M- Mkhitaryan did that kind of wandering role. Uh, from the right and coming over to the center and Welbeck was doing a bit of wandering. I mean, no, not really. It's not comfortable. I still think he could probably do it better than the right-sided role he's been handed now. Um, <clears throat> but in the four-two-three-one, there is absolutely a role for him. Um, there's a role tailor-made for him, um, if you ask me. 
Yeah, it is a concern. I think when you look and you look at the the declining statistics this season for Ramsey and for Ozil, and these are supposed to be two of our most talented players and the system hasn't gotten the most out of them. And it may be by virtue of the fact that the two of them in the team together really negates both of them because they're both playing uncomfortable roles. You may Mm -hmm. have to make the decision to get the best out of one you have to play without the other. And if that's the case, you have to do it with the one you've committed 350000 a week to, and that's Mesut Ozil. Mm-hmm. I mean, Clive, yeah. Yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead, Tim. I, I was just going to make one last point, and, and really you'd probably have to take one of Aubameyang or Lacazette out um, as well because yeah, I, I, I think basically Ramsey's skill set is, is not as important when you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette on the pitch. I think that's a really good point. You don't necessarily need... 2.2 shots per game, you know, a half an XG per game or whatever from your central midfielder if you've got 2 XG per game from your strikers. You know, um, I, I, I think that's a, a well-made point. We have, you know, R- Ramsey was so important in previous seasons because the team needed extra goal-scoring threat. It doesn't necessarily need that from central midfield right now, although I would be open to him playing in the two, in the center midfield, next mm-hmm. to Torreira. Um, and I think Terrera would give him the freedom to make some of those runs, but I don't think we're going to see that. I mean, Clive, as far as, well, a couple of things about Ozil. I mean, first of all, let me ask you a tricky question. I, I don't think there's, this is one that you might not want to answer honestly, but I'll, I'll invite you to do so anyway. (laughs) If we could go back to last January and do it again, would you hold off on giving Ozil the contract we gave him? Um, so context. I think I probably learnt the game through Meza Erzl more than I've learnt it through any other player. I think he's an encyclopedia to watch. You know, how he finds space, how he uses space, how he manipulates the ball, how he strikes the ball. I mean, he the way, how he always keeps people unbalanced. I think he's, in certain scenarios, I think he's technically perfect. Right, so, so from where my brain is, I know you know lots of people look at the game in different ways. You know, you know yourself, Elliot. You love your, you love the game. You love your numbers, and you use that to contextualize your views. And Tim's got an unbelievable historic view of the game and, and timeline, just in his head. And and for me, I I always look at football as a a continuous improvement exercise, and I like to learn through people, and I like to emotionally connect to people and the game. And then I'm learning, you know, statistics through you guys, actually, through you, Elliot and Scott. That's a so really I'm, dangerous thing if you're learning it from me. Just <laughs> FYI. Yeah. And it's and it's like, um, and and so that's my context. That's my how I view it. And and I look at the club, and I look at, you know, I've got a corporate background, and I look at how you have to always renew your club at certain times you renew your people to create form of momentum and the worry about these two players is that we are potentially using their names as comfort because they're big names and we want them near us because they give us comfort they give us a form of stature they give us a form where we have players like that we'll we'll still be arsenal we'll still be top table i know there is a commercial value to all of this but then i look at then I look at progression, I look at go forward, and I look at the talent that's in the world, and I say to myself, is this going to hold us back or push us forward? And if I'm asking that question, I mean, there's a debate to be had. And there shouldn't be a debate to be had 
when you're paying somebody £350,000 a week. It should be a slam dunk. It should be a LeBron James type move. Of course you do it. You do it because you have to. Cause it's him, because he's the best player in the world. I mean, that may be an extreme, but you know what I mean. He needs to be a franchise player, that alpha that's really going to do something for you. Well, you you so, get that wrong. It can it can sink your club, not just in terms of financial, but look, look at what Manchester United are dealing with with Pogba, who I think is a brilliant player, but just not getting on with his manager. If you're if your most expensive player isn't all in on the project and, and firing at his best, it can derail a club entirely. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'll, and just just think this through then a little bit a little more deeply. We've just seen Arsenal sign with Adidas in this week, and Meza Erzo is one of their one of their star players, right? So who knows what's going on in the background to help pay for that wages, right? So we only know what we know. We don't know the whole story, right? So it's, this is business. And Arsenal may be getting many millions on that Adidas contract they would not have got if they didn't keep this player at the club. So we just don't know what's going on in the background. Ramsey's also an Adidas player, but he's not a you know a top, top-line player like Ozil is. So for me, I don't think we can keep two. It, I don't... Like I say, Ozil's probably one of my favourite players from an educational point of view. But if the club said we needed to move forward, we needed to lose them both, I wouldn't cry myself to sleep because six months ago, I didn't know who Lucas Torreira was. And that's how things quickly can change in football. There is so much talent out there and there is talent within our club that would come to fruition if players were moved out of the way. And I think it's important if we want to rebuild this club after a 22-year period of a, of a manager in charge, we are reaching a critical period in, in, our, in our history. And I think whoever's in charge needs to have as many tools as he needs to rebuild this team appropriately. And, uh, and so if the decision was made, I would be okay with it. I think one's, we all know one's going to go, more than likely. If two went, it, it would need some very smart recruitment to make that be palatable. But I think, um, in hindsight, I think one had to stay. And with Alexis going at the same time, I suppose I get it. The fear was too great, but it probably cost us around £100,000 a week because we were sloppy in our negotiation. Yeah, I, I think there's every there's a lot in there, obviously, and, and I agree with a lot of it. I, I think, Tim, the question then is, we've made the decision, we've committed to the player is there an argument for Emery to say, I, you know, look, that's not my problem. My problem is getting us to win, and I see us winning with two dynamic forwards up front, with players who will stay in the wide spaces like Mkhitaryan and Owobi supporting them, and midfielders who can break lines and one who can tackle and Shaka and Terrera, and Ozil's going to have to come in and be a, a player who plays when the when the time suits him. I mean, is mm-hmm. that a choice that, that Emery can make, or is that just simply from a fi- financially and from a team disruption standpoint, not even an option for him? Um, that, I, that's a difficult question without knowing the player, because I, I think from a tactical standpoint, yeah, he can absolutely do that if he wants. Um, obviously, you know, we have the issue of can we move him on? And the reason he signed with us in the first place is because we, um, we gave him the biggest offer and nobody wanted to nobody else wanted to pay him those wages outside of China in January and his stock hasn't gone up in the ensuing year yeah, and he's sure got another shit, a year old pay us a transfer fee for him and this no. wage at this point so he's an arsenal player no. that's for sure 
it, exactly exactly and you know from that emery could say well you know all right make the best of it um he's i'm not gonna have him rotting in the reserves he's just he'll just play when i say um and we'll just have to suck it up and and largely let's be honest the uh the, the contract was a pr uh kind of thing because we'd lost alexis and we were over a barrel same way that walcott got his contract because we'd lost fabregas and nasri and and losing Walcott in and of himself w- wouldn't have been a massive issue. It's just, you know, image-wise. Um, and and I, and I don't just mean that from a commercial standpoint either. I, you know, that that gets through to other clubs and other players. You know, you can start to look weak. And not only does that make you less attractive for other players to join, but it also actually you might end up getting the right, the wrong types of. Uh, personality joining you you might get someone going ah ah arsenal are a bit of a walkover i can go there for two years agitate for a move and uh see you later i'm off you know you end up with a few more adabiors um for example so it it's not unimportant this stuff um but yeah i, I think emery's well within his rights if he says Do you know what I've, I've had a look at this i've had a good look at this i want iwobi i want mkhitaryan and i want Aubameyang and lacazette and the others are just going to have to kind of fight their way in as to how much Ozil would kick up a fuss so I don't think he's the type of character necessarily that would do it on the training ground albeit you know him and the manager have have had you know a little bit of a contretemps he's more likely Ozil's power is with um, his people as it were it's it's pr that that little period he spent on the left wing uh, at the beginning of his second season like every newspaper had the ozil wants to play at number 10 no direct quotes but they all had that story um we all know where that came from how how did we know you know ozil was given the number 10 shirt this summer he'd never mentioned that publicly himself never never a quote from him about how he wanted the number 10 shirt we all knew he wanted it, though. We all knew um, because, uh, and I'm not necessarily sure this is from him, but from his people, as it were, um, things have a way of getting out there. Um, and that's why he pays an awful lot of money for PR. And that's why he engenders um, quite feverish support, tribalist support, um, I'd say. You know, try criticising Ozil on Twitter and then have a little look at your mentions half an hour later. It ain't fun. <laughs> you know he he engenders that kind of and when you look at the guy and you see the guy speak and stuff you you know that doesn't come from him per se but um he's he's got um there's a lot of cerebral power um there so that that is where i think the disruption would potentially come from i don't think it like kick teacups over in the changing room but um, maybe you'd get some stories in the press about what a horrible bastard Emery is and whether yeah. that would cause any any conniptions. Um, I don't know. But it's it's like I say, this stuff is not unimportant and it's not um, you can't just say, nah, fuck all that. Just just don't play him. And that's the end of it. This this stuff, it has consequences that um, that are real. Messing you know when he's it's on the of- ball. Yeah. yeah. Come, come on in, Clive. Sorry, mate, but yeah, actually, Tim's got me thinking. Actually, and I, and I just said about Ramsey being ruthless, and he's a quiet individual, and people don't recognise that he's a ruthless individual. You know what? The same could be said of Özil. You know, Tim just really outlined it. When it comes down to it, he is a singular-minded individual that has got a strong 
um, personality on the pitch from a playing football side of things, even if his individual personality is quite different. They're both quiet, calm individuals, but on the football pitch, they are loud, they are dominant, they are people that want to do things their way, and when it doesn't go their way, they'll either make other people go, make it go their way, or they will say, well, I don't want to play in this position, I want to play in this position. And there's, a, there's a similarity between how they approach the game of football. Um, one has won the World Cup, has played for Real Madrid, and one has spent most of his career at Arsenal, but he sees himself as an elite player. And again, that sort of brings a divide, it brings opinion, it drives debate, and there's division over both players, if, if we're honest, about their value to the club going forward. And it's only going to take, football's very short-termist, it's only going to take Arsenal to be linked to somebody that's relevant, that could be that could take their place. And all you need is another five or six big-time Smith Rowe performances and the mutterings will start to grow even more. So you can see why the club is not investing in potentially both of them. So I think we've done this together on two of them. I think there's a lot of similarities between them, maybe more than we actually realise. Maybe. I, look, the one thing I still believe, I still think when he's on the ball a lot in a game, Mesut is one of the best players in the league. I, I think the the problem with Mesut Ozil has never been, or very, very rarely been, he's not using the ball well. The problem for Mesut Ozil has been that he's he has been able to be isolated and driven out of games. And from that right wide forward position that he's been put in this season. We've seen it. He's had some of his lowest ever touch, lowest ever pass totals uh, in his Arsenal career from that position. But when he's on the ball a lot, I still think our best our best team has him in it. And dear God, it better, given what we've committed to him. But I mean, Clive, real quick, I mean, I, I'll stay with you just for a second. Let's assume I'm right for a second. Let's assume that our best team has Mesut Ozil in it. How would you build around him with the players we have to get the most out of him and the most for the team. Yeah, I think um, I think our best team does have him in it. I I do think he can play. Let's say we played the the box we played at, at Fulham, which really was a box when when we had the ball as a flat four four two when when we didn't. Yeah, right? totally so, agree. Um, so he can play either side of that top end of the box, in my opinion. Um, but it's how he plays that position. He seeks the he seeks the ten, right? He seeks the ten. So whichever fullback he's playing with, he loses that connection, right? So, and we've all seen the past match when he plays in the right, and Bellerin's there like a dot on the North Pole, isn't he? On his own, passing back to Mustafi. That's the only option he's got, and then he never gets forward. And you look at the weekend, how much more rounded he looked, how much more confident he looked going forward. So we lose something collectively, but. You can't say that he can't do it because he can. I think he played on the left in the World Cup final, so we know he can do it. Again, it's about pinning him to a position and a role and, and making combinations. If you play a 4 one he's a 10. We all know that. He's a 10. I, I do like... There will, be, I will, there will be occasion when we flip between the two. But I'm also... Forget the wages. I'm also far more keen that we pick the right players for the right system. And if it is a day, because we're playing away at Everton, and it's a day for Mkhitaryan and Iwobi, we should be comfortable with that because we've got a big sample size to know 
away in the northwest is not his best part of the world, right? We he has not done it there at almost any point, maybe apart from Everton one game actually. But uh, apart from that, he's never really done it there. So and and again, some of the other players that he plays with, their weaknesses are mirrored. He gets dribbled past a lot. Ramsey gets dribbled past a lot. And if you leave Shaka to cover the gap, you're asking for trouble, right? So, um, and that's who we were for the last couple of years. So, for me, he's a 10. But I don't dismiss that he can play wide. He just needs to focus a little bit more positionally disciplined. But his game is all about positional indiscipline. But we let him get away because his assist numbers and are just so great. That's his game. We potentially don't give Ramsey the same, uh, well, I don't, don't give him the same rope to which to hang himself by. Yeah, I, well, I mean, <laughs> the the reality is that I, I think you get to a point with these players where you analyze them so much that you almost stop seeing them, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and sometimes I find it interesting to see what, you know, neutrals or no one's neutral but other people think of our players not because i think they know them better because they don't but just to kind of refresh my 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 sense of them and there are definitely some people out there that want to take aaron ramsey off arsenal's hands um you know i don't know that mesut Ozil is as admired outside of arsenal as he is within arsenal i mean tim do you think do you think that this this sort of tribal love that we have for Ozil has obscured maybe some of the weaknesses in his game. What's your sense of his the perception of him as a player beyond the Arsenal diaspora? Um, I think it's wildly, wildly differs. Um, and I, th- I think he's, he's so divisive as a player. A, a lot of it's down to taste, what you like um, as a football fan. And, you know, obviously we've had this five-year-long debate um, of this. I don't see what he does. Uh, well, that's because you don't understand football and I'm, I'm simplifying it there. But, you know, he's, he's such a, he is a quite difficult player to appreciate. But at the same time, sometimes I think that is used as an excuse. So when he does have a horrible game, it's like, no, you just... You did. You didn't. You didn't uh, notice what he did, and it's like, uh, because he didn't do anything. Um, so, <laughs> you couldn't see it with your eyes, but, but yeah. if you expand your memory and align your shockers, yeah, you'll see yeah. exactly what he did. Exactly. If you'd like dropped a tab of LSD before you went into the stadium, that you'd have appreciated nice. it. Um, and I, uh, those days are behind me now. Um, <laughs> And um and and yeah and it, and it I th- I find it is just wildly different and there's there's always like this storm around him you know because he engenders such strong feeling on both sides so we talked about how you know he has uh, and and a lot of football's going this way you know with the individual and look, just look up how many times you see on Twitter like um you know the, the way footballers are referred to as having fans much in the way that clubs used to be. There's a big move towards the individual. And um, I think I read something like Real Madrid overnight lost 4 million Twitter followers when they sold Ronaldo. Yeah, that's incredible. Juventus gained like 5 million followers. You know, that that is a literal migration because of a player. Uh, th- so that's the kind of world we're living in. And I think Ozil, you know, maybe not quite on the Ronaldo-Messi plateau, but not far behind. 
um, as a guy, probably a bit like Neymar, um, someone who really engenders strong feelings on both sides, but for for different reasons. There there aren't that many people who who say things like, "I think Ozil's really get good." Maybe sometimes he under delivers on his talent. You know, it's always got to be he's awful or he's amazing and you just don't understand. So it's, and and I I think that goes for inside the Arsenal fan base and outside the Arsenal fan base. And then what happens is because you have these two extreme narratives going on, you know, people feel the need uh, understandably to, to counter it um, all the time. So I know, for example, I felt like this with Bellerin a lot over the past few months. I haven't been like tweeting stuff about good stuff he's been doing and retweeting um you know stuff where people say good stuff he's been doing because i think he's been perfect but it's it's like because he hasn't he has had flaws in his game he has had like a fallow period i think last season but personally i felt the need to counter the narrative that he was terrible and awful and it was all because of his hair so you you create like that natural like extreme to the other side and so the more you do it the more people fight against each other and feel the need to make the points and you know, do you know one of the things i find the most interesting about Ozil? Uh, since he came to England is the currency of the assist is like 50 times higher. That's so true. Yeah, that's a really good point. People don't talk, people talk about assists like goals now. It's like, oh, you know, oh, he broke, and and like, I'm not denigrating any of this, by the way, but oh, he broke the record for assists. You never heard anyone talk about breaking record. Like I remember when Henri did it and it was like a footnote. It was like, Oh yeah, Omri got 15 assists this season. That's quite good. But now, like, the assist has become so weaponized because there's this big fight on social media about how good Özil is. So, and, and you're seeing this with Pogba as well, I think. So every time he makes an assist, because that's what he does. That's his main thing. It's like his top trump card. Everyone's like, see, he made an assist today. He created three key passes, and and it's it's just interesting how in this like narrative and counter narrative the 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 value of the assist has got like if the, if it was a stock i i wish i could have gone back in time to like 2013 and invested Bought in stock it. in the assist well you know and look yeah. I, I do understand that there is there is a desire and a need to quantify the contribution that your favorite players are making to mm. be able to hold up some kind of concrete evidence, something objective that says they're good. You know, mm. if I wanted to have an argument with, with stats and if I wanted to be anti-stats momentarily, and if you know me, you know I'm not, it would simply be that it's not good enough to say I thought someone played well today. It's not good enough to say he's one of the best players in the league anymore if you can't find the metrics that quantify that. And that's a bit of a shame because, you know, Mesut Ozil is a delightful, poetic player who can pull off incredible pieces of skill and run a game with without ever scoring a goal or or providing an assist but if we can't quantify it somehow it feels no longer valid and and that is a bit of a shame and i think you know if there's one thing that we need to be aware of as as stats continue to gain traction in football it's that there's something to be said still for watching a game and saying i thought this player played well and that that still has currency yeah clive yeah i think what you're talking about in stats there and what we talk about with Ozil is we're talking about outputs. We're talking about the assist. We talk about what he does. We are talking about the output that we can measure, that we can see, that we can touch and feel. Where my head always goes with players like him 
is how can I work on the input? How can I then provoke this player to basically be perform more consistently? And I think you have to unlock these players by emotionally triggering them. And I think maybe that's the maybe that's the teacher in me, that's the that's the coach in me. But that's where that's that's my obsession. I look at him and think, how can we get you going? Because once you're going, the outputs take care of themselves. And I think with with fans, we need to sometimes look at people's approach and intent to play and then measure them their output when their approach and intent to play is is where it should be. A great example of that is is Alex Iwobi recently. Something has happened with him that he has worked out, I have to approach my game differently. I have to have a different intention to play. His confidence has gone up and therefore his output has gone up. I think as fans, we need to think more about that rather than judging far more on the assist, on the touches, on the passes, on the direction of the passes. Think about the inputs that drive all of that. And then you think, well, actually... What is the surroundings? What are the variables around that individual that's making him drop down? I think that's part of the analysis. I think everything else is part of the output analysis. But I, I'm, myself, I'm looking at him. I think he's somebody that we have to work out the inputs a lot more and make sure he's surrounded appropriately. He's such an interesting player. I mean, I think the reason Mesut drives people nuts is because he is a genius on the pitch. He has yeah. eyes all over his head. He understands space and movement. And yet, this player with all of this incredible talent can fail to put away a penalty, or like the other day, can have the ball in the six-yard box basically unmarked and decide to pass it back to the top of the 18. And we you know, we want him to be all-conquering, and everything about his skill and his vision and his movement and his physicality says he can be. And it's not that he isn't fantastic. It's that it always feels for me with Mesut Ozil that he is a an eight-gear car, a car with eight gears, and he's only in sixth. Now, sixth gear is still better than most of the other cars on the road, but he's this eight-gear sportster, and I, I want him to go up those two more gears. And I think that is the frustration with Mesut Ozil. It's, it's watching a great player who could be elite at a level that few ever reach and feeling that maybe he just he just fails to get there. Does that make sense? That, yeah. that the criticism of Ozil for me is not that he isn't great, it's that his yeah. greatness could be unrivaled, could be unquestioned, could be could be beyond where it has where it has gone, and and the question is, will he get there? And so, Tim, the final question for me is: He's on a huge contract. He's a crucial player this season and beyond. Do you think we will look back at this contract that Mesut Ozil has just signed and say that he made the most of this final few seasons at Arsenal? When Ooh, when all is said and done, yeah, that's a really difficult question. Um, Look in your I, crystal ball, and what does it say? <laughs> I'm, I'm to be convinced, but that's not to say I don't think it will happen. Does that is that like that's sitting on the fence a bit too much, isn't it? It's so super I, fancy. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, if I had to bet, so I don't know is obviously the short answer. If I had to bet on it, I'd say maybe not. But at the same time, I'm I'm completely open-minded to the fact that it could. I, I tend to think, actually, it might go along a little bit like his Arsenal career has, which is exactly as you've described it, um, really, which is um, someone who is really good, but probably still slightly under-delivered on their potential. Yeah. 
I, you know what's funny? If one thing maybe connects Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Ozil more than anything else, it is that these are two players who I am convinced have talent that is nearly unrivaled in the game and have been good, but not as good at that talent could have made them, if that makes sense. Um, and that both feel just slightly unfulfilled in their potential. And that that is always what it... You know, the funny thing is, people love a player like Francis Coughlin, who feels very limited in, in talent and gets the most out of it, or even an Olivier Giroud to that extent. The players that frustrate us are the are the mercurial talents, the ones who are so talented and yet seem to fail to live up to the potential because we see what they can be and we want them to be that and we're disappointed sometimes when they're not, even if where they land is still very, very, very good. Um, Clive, I'll ask you the same question just in conclusion. When this contract is said and done, do you think Emery or whoever becomes the coach or whatever happens over the next few seasons, we will look back and say that Mesut Ozil has fulfilled his very great potential at this club in this final contract? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And the reason why is just that the judge of that will be us, the fans. And when you sign a contract of that number, people have wildly different expectations. And most of them are more than what any human being can deliver. Right. So I felt that sometimes you get you can get too good a deal. The West Ham deal for the ground was too good a deal. He's killing them. Right. I think Theo's deal that he got was too good. We looked at him differently on 140. If he was on 110, he was fine. On 140 at the time, we needed more. We couldn't. We didn't accept his down games. We didn't accept that meek little jog he had. We didn't accept that meek little clap when he's getting substituted. We didn't have it. Not at 150. Not at 140. We weren't having that. And I think if we hit a little bit of bad form, suddenly we're going to turn around and look for someone to throw oranges at. And I think it will be Ozil because of the contract that he's got. Because it's, and that's not his fault. He has negotiated that. But I think it's going to be a big part of how we judge him. So I feel that for fans of Ozil, he'll always meet their expectations. In general, it's going to be aligned to our team's success. And if we have some rocky days, I think um, he's going to be viewed in a slightly negative way, which is a real shame. On 220, I think he meets everyone's expectations. And I think we'll all be happy. I'm going to pull a Alex Awobi will be a break, our breakout player of the season here and say I think Mesut Ozil will win at least one player of the season over the next three seasons at Arsenal. How about that? Um, just because why not? Why not be that guy who goes all negative most of the time and then just says something positive to under, undermine it? Well, look, I want to thank everybody who's listened to this. Uh, we're going to do a mailbag episode next week, basically meaning your your questions, and we will actually answer them. I will just read them out, and then people will answer them. None of this other garbage. Uh, we are so appreciative to have you uh, as patrons, and we will do our best to continue to put out content for you, including... Uh, Tim's fantastic uh, preview videos, more in the spotlight episodes, more additional podcast episodes, mailbag questions, things like that. We do have a shirt giveaway going on on the website right now, so you can look for that link um, uh, and you can just enter to win an Arsenal shirt, your choice, whatever shirt you want. Um, Sorry, it's not the Adidas shirt, but we don't have it yet. In any event, Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith, Blockman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, We love you. We appreciate you. And uh, we will talk to you next week with a mailbag. So get your questions in. We'll look forward to talking to you then.